Welcome to The Hidden Island, a podcast where we talk about local island history. My name's Fiona Steele, and I'll be your host for this journey. Today we're doing something different. I'm not just sitting alone and talking to an empty room. Evelyn, can you introduce yourself? Absolutely. Uh, Hi, folks. Uh, My name is Evelyn Bradley. I run a diversity, equity, and inclusion firm here in PEI. And I'm really excited to be talking about queer history today. Yeah, we've got some exciting interviews planned. First up, we talked to Dave Stewart, who is the director of a film series called Before Grinder: The Secret Social History of Gay and Lesbian PEI. He's also an avid 2S LGBTQIA plus advocate. Now, we talked to Dave about a lot of things. But one key takeaway was this idea of how straight and heteronormative our history is. But to shift a little historical, something that I heard is we're so quick to be like, no, this historical figure can't have been queer in any way. And, you know, we see this with figures, even island ones like Ella Montgomery. There's a common discord saying maybe she was queer. We don't know. Why is it problematic that we assume they have to be straight? And why is it bad to wonder at their identities? I don't know. Evelyn, does it go with the lie, we've been lied to thing that you were talking about earlier? I feel like it goes to what we picture in our minds when we think of like nostalgic moments. I think the problem is, historically speaking, nostalgia has looked like white, straight, comfortable couples. Mm. And I think that in our heads... When we find something that we love and we decide that something is family friendly, when we say the word family, it looks like white, straight, kids, country, like it looks a certain way in most of North America. And I think that in a lot of ways, specifically when we're talking about these historic figures that defined PEI, we couldn't possibly think of them as being queer because then we don't see ourselves in them anymore. Or... For some of us, we see ourselves in them more, and we're 50, and we're happily married, and we're not unpacking that at this time, (laughs) right? And so I I think it it gets a little deeper into the psychology of what makes us feel like we're home. Um, And I feel like for a lot of people, a lot of these historic things in PEI that, like, define PEI as quintessential PEI, the idea that they could be fringe for some of us is too much. You're asking too much. My brain can't take it, right? Seven generations here and now you're telling me that this is the thing? Absolutely not. I refuse. And it's an interesting moment because we don't see ourselves anymore. And if we don't see ourselves, but this is indefinitely who we are, then what do we do? When you were talking about Ella Montgomery and the possibility Mm -hmm. that she had – she was lesbian or bisexual – I think uh, you're right. There's nothing more powerful than nostalgia, like really, and we don't want to mess with the nostalgia. But the fact is, if this is so about her, you're learning, you're not losing her. I think people are scared of losing their nostalgia. You're not. It may be shifting a bit, but you're learning something deeper about that person that may inform their writing. Right. And it's it's implied nostalgia. It's not even actually right. nostalgia. It's Im- it's the implied nostalgia that we think we're supposed to have when we experience these stories. Right. Right. And when we see this writing. Yeah. And we know that she was a woman who struggled in her life. Right. Like her yeah. life wasn't rainbows and things. But right. she wrote about, I mean, Anne, Anne's a cool character. She, you know, bucked 
back against the system. She didn't want to just float through life easily, right? And don't tell me that her relationship with Diana wasn't more successful than her relationship with Gilbert. Correct. <laughs> yes. Correct. And I, I just can't wrap my head around why we limit the success of even our fictional women, right? right? Like, yeah. why does the only thing we root for is for Gilbert? Like, I'm confused. <laughs> like, I want, like, Oprah kinds of success for Anne, and yeah. you guys want Gilbert? I'm confused. Okay. But I do want to say the thing that is in- interesting to me is we've been talking about this uh, concept, and it's all been from a very white perspective. Mm. Yes. Uh, because in the island mind, we're all very white. Mm-hmm. And it would be I would be remiss if I didn't at least acknowledge the fact that, like, we have to remember that there are other things at play when we talk about queer identity, including but not limited to people of color. And, like, the fact that there is, to my knowledge, and Dave, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I can't find anything on black queer history on the island. Nothing. There is nothing on that population. No, when I was looking at even, you know, just white or anybody come to me, I couldn't go earlier than the late 70s. Yeah. And that's fascinating because it's not that families weren't here. Mm -hmm. And so for me, a little bit of a side project for me is kind of digging into like, where are those silenced black queer voices and and why don't we know them Mm. and you know i will argue that Anne probably should have grown up to marry a black lesbian but that's (laughs) just my personal opinion uh but seriously though we don't talk about that and we don't talk about interracial relationships Mm -hmm. on this island Mm -hmm. at all it's almost relegated similarly to the queer identities we're just going to put all these other relationships in a corner we're not going to talk about them and so when people see me and my white wife they're like what's happening over there (laughs) and these are the adults not the kids Right? right, and you're like, yeah, this is confusing for you because you've never seen one of these identities, let alone seventeen of them, mashed together in this relationship. Yep. and so it's a lot to take in. Well, and I think what's important and based on you know what you say in history is that we need to look at these things so that we have our true history. Mm-hmm. We don't have a version of history; mm-hmm. we have as close to the truth version of history as we yeah. can have. Yeah. And that history has, does not look like what we've seen it look like on PEI for the last. And we talked about this before we started recording. Our history is not that long. I mean, it is with the Mi'kmaq, but it's not with people who moved here. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's not that long. Mm-hmm. So we have room to... We have room to go back and correct that, and I do. I do think it is correcting because for mm-hmm. too long, again, it goes back to those role models, and that's why it may be important that Ellen Montgomery was a lesbian, if she was a lesbian, is so that twelve-year-old Tanya, who's out writing her story right now, can see a role model like her, somebody who came before her, right. so she knows where she comes from. I think that's why history is important. I think. You come from your parents, Evelyn, but you also come from a black community. Yeah. You also come from a southern community. You also come from a queer community. And all of those things make us who we are. It's mm-hmm. not just one assumed thing. Right? And what does it look like to get on the same page about our collective memory, right? Yeah. Because Ooh, when yeah. you said that just mm. now, the immediate thing that pops in my mind is collective memories. Mm. And we don't have a comprehensive collection of those memories. Right. We look at history, but yeah. we don't think about them as collective memories. Mm -hmm. And so what does it look like if we 
build that kind of implied nostalgia around collective memory as the construct, as opposed to building it around this idea that history has to look and be a certain way. Yep. I love that. It doesn't have to be pretentious. Because then history, <laughs> right. history doesn't have to be pretentious. Then it's not a road where you have to go this way. It's like these are all the memories around this time. Yeah. It's yeah, a web. I, I think yes. history is very much a living thing, right? Because yes. as, as we're proving right now by having this conversation, because we're looking at what's been established and we're saying, no, no, there's so much more and it's still going on. We're making history today. You know, like what the queer community is doing now with our expansion of our understanding of what our community is. Um, I mean, when I grew up, I knew of one trans person. The concept of non-binary did not exist in, mm-hmm. you know, in my world purview Mm -hmm. and now we're leaving this history that we're creating by by fighting for rights for having these conversations we are literally creating history right now We also spoke with Trina Smith, the director of Community Impact and 211 at United Way. Trina Smith is originally from PEI and spends her days in rural PEI doing outreach work for 2SLGBTQ plus members uh, in rural areas of our community. Okay, and we brought you here to talk about queer identity. We were just getting into that okay. about the difference between then and now. So you grew yeah, up in Prince Edward Island, I did. right? I did. So what was that like? It was awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Now, in terms of like queer identity, there was certainly no talk of queerness. Um, And even that word queer Mm. denotes like mm, I'm not. Yeah. yeah, Like it's not that I'm not comfortable with it, Mm. but it's certainly because in my grandmother would use it for weird. Yeah. Right. So like derogatory. And it wasn't even derogatory. It was just strange. Oh, yeah. Like Like it was just othering. Like it was just like, well, that's queer. Like if it was just something odd. Like a quagmire. Right. Like (laughs) it was just like it. That's queer. My grandmother would say that or. But then I know a lot of particularly gay men, like friends of mine who grew up with queer being very derogatory, yeah. mm-hmm. right? And so they're still not comfortable with the mm-hmm. word queer, right? So when I was, yeah, we, you didn't talk about queerness. Like you talk about gay. Yeah. Okay. I heard that word. Didn't really know what it was because there was yeah. certainly no information around it. Oh. And of course we had like Encyclopedia Britannica. Right. Right. Physical books that no would Google. come, uh, no Google, that would come like a year after they were printed. Yeah. Right. So the information, so that would, you know, so that would be a stretch in terms of like, so the only real information we would have there, you know, at the Confederation Center Library, there would have been a section on like sexuality. Right, which would have been like nobody went. Oh my goodness! Well, if you went, you, everyone would know. You would just go quickly, <laughs> quickly walk down the aisle, right? Because it yeah. was only it wasn't even a whole aisle, right. okay? But it was just like a certain you know section of books, and it would huh. be everything from like I don't even I can never remember talking about gender, right? Like right. in the way that we talk about it now, right? But it would be you might see a book on gayness or. Like, but it would be sometimes it would just be like um, birthing right information, right? Or like books on like pregnancy or wow. books on like, so things like that. But there would also be books on like, well, what we would say now is queerness, but it would mm. be more titled probably like 
you know, gay. Yeah, or something like something gay. More borderline, like kind of like mortifying right now. Right. We would like, yeah, but that would be the, the word. encyclopedia of gay. Right. Right. Like something like that. Oh, right. Wow. And so you'd like that would be the only information that we would see, and then yeah. But there was no queerness like that. You would never say mm-hmm. that in the text context that we would use it now. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. And so what was it like finding community here if there was if nobody you know said anything? I know. Nobody did. Need, had, like I'm I just envision you and your friends having like a secret handshake. With, no. Like, Do you know what it was? The queers on the other side of the island. Like yeah. not kidding. I went to Colonel Gray High School. In Charlottetown. And there was probably a group of us, kind of my closest friends, and there would have been maybe nine or ten of us, mm. all now would identify oh, as queer. Yeah. It was so, it's so bizarre. I actually, wow. I actually thought we were pretty cool, but apparently we weren't. We were not cool <laughs> at all. Um, but all of us would identify either as lesbian or gay men or queer Wow. In some fashion. So yeah. I guess we just found each other. We we certainly didn't use that language well, in, no. in high school. No. We certainly didn't even, you I, didn't didn't, I it, certainly did didn't know we were, I was gay. Yeah. I knew, we knew we were different, like in some fashion, but certainly not around, you would never use right. kind of that language. Now, so that, I graduated from high school in 1989. So that would have been like, yeah, like late 80s, we would mm-hmm. have been in high school. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, it was like kind of like the, you know, socialist, like NDP, mm. right? That kind of fraction, right? Mm-hmm. So more mm-hmm. kind of left uh, wing, like political. Um, and then it was like more into like university. So I did my undergrad here and at UPEI and it would have been... Yeah, like Bubba's Lounge was just opened, so mm-hmm. above okay. Cedars, mm-hmm. right? So they expanded and they just opened Bubba's. So that was kind of like more of like my f- people, right? Yeah. Mm. So again, it wasn't even like it certainly wasn't known as a gay bar or anything like that, but it was just a little bit different. People that would go there were, yeah, and that's where... You know, I first met kind of, you know, the drag queens, mm. right, of the 70s and 80s, mm. right? They'd just be kind of hanging off the side of the bar. And that's where we would get a lot of the information and find mm. out about dances and find out about, like, those sorts of things. And it was mainly, uh, on that level, it was mainly, like, dances at the Queen's Arms Hotel. And once you're there, you're there. Yeah. It's right? PI. Well, yeah. that's PI. Right. Yeah. Once you, <laughs> once you, once somebody knows your name, then you're invited to the potlucks and you're invited to the, right. the bar. Like we'd mm. have like, well, I can't really remember that, but they would have like pub nights. Oh and yeah. Like so, you'd be invited to those things because you would, they would know who you were. Yeah. And so yeah, we would either call or email. Like wow. even email was like yeah, you'd email, but it was like right. dial up. Oh yeah. Yeah. There was no phones. Like there was not. Like wasn't you know text me or have a group chat or right yeah. so somebody would have to have your email and how like do you build a community that way we did I, I and know. i felt it was a i feel that it was a stronger community than mm. what i have now yeah really why do, do you think that is i don't know probably because we're lazy i don't know i really oh. don't know but there was more, certainly more things happening because i f- i felt there was more things happening however when i look 
around today. I think there's a lot of things happening for youth. I don't know because mm-hmm. I'm not a youth. So I don't know if there is. But there certainly is way more information, but I yeah. don't know if it's the right information. Right? You can find anything you want on the Internet. Yeah. But the problem is you can find anything you want on the Internet. Yeah. Exactly. Right? So whether it's beneficial information, I don't know. So one of the interesting things that Trina brought up was this question of what's currently being done for youth. And I think that this is fascinating because there are lots of programs right now available for 2S LGBTQ plus identifying youth in our area, from Pride Scouts to a writing club to even just a queer youth drop-in where they can pop into the Peers Alliance office during the week and have an adult to kind of talk to and communicate with. I think we're building community here in a really unique unique way and we're meeting people where they are and so when Trina and Dave both talked about what it looks like to define community and look at community from all of these different kind of lenses and optics I find that we're doing that today in a way we weren't 20 50 even 10 years ago yeah and you saying that reminds me of a clip right at the end of our talk with Trina where you folks were talking about how for the first time neither of you had involvement with the pride parade and your organizations did the work Yeah. Let's play that clip. There's lots of organizations that are doing amazing things. Yes. However, this was one of the first times. I'm over the age of 50. I'm 51. And this was one of the first times that I wasn't involved with my workplace being in the Pride Parade. I didn't organize it. No. Neither did I. And neither did you. The two most out... People at our job did not organize the pride phase. We did not organize. I did not make an email. I did not call. The straight allies in our office decided that this was something that they valued. And instead of putting the emotional labor on the two openly gay people in our office. I didn't order the t-shirts. Nope. They just took care of everybody else. They asked opinions for sure. And we're like, would you, do you have the emotional labor to like talk about this? Which I just think is interesting because that's my whole job is to talk about diversity. And somebody was like, no, but do you have the emotional capacity to talk about a t-shirt? I was like, what? (laughs) Yes. Like I sent an email to them and thanked them. Yeah. Because I, Mm. I was always responsible for like thinking about it and planning, which I'm, and I'd have to think about it months in advance, which would never happen. Mm -hmm. And so I'd be last minute ordering t-shirts for X. And, the T-shirts were ordered before yes. I even literally knew we were going in the Pride Parade. And I was like, "Yes, this is amazing. Yes. Mm. Right? So I do see people and businesses and organizations doing things like that. Right? Mm-hmm. I think more often. I don't know. That was my first experience and it was lovely. I mean, yeah. It, it was great. It was great to have that happen. Yeah. Yeah. Instead of us saying... Okay, yeah, we need to go in the pride parade. No, it is important. Yes, of course it's important and yes, we should be there and because of if for nothing else optics and right like all of the things. This was it was already done. Yeah. And I was like, "Oh, we're going in the pride parade." And they're like, "Yeah, show up on Saturday." I'm like, "Oh, great. I have a cooler." <laughs> like that was it. That was it. Yeah. That's really interesting. Yeah. yeah. That's a nice I thought it was it was funny. I thought that too the other day. I was yeah. like the most like outwardly yeah. like in-house openly yeah. queer yeah. We, I didn't I didn't, didn't do anything it. nope didn't touch it so that's amazing I volunteered right. some contributions because I was like we need popsicles because yeah. it'll be hot but like yeah. we didn't I didn't like yeah no we didn't do, do anything. anything showed up it was amazing so that's what I think the, the last car. 20 years right yeah. has done 
mm. or longer, longer yeah. than 20 years. But, Perfect example. But that is, this is what all of that hard work Got of us. talking about these things does, yeah. is that it's not always the people in the community that have to do the things. Yeah. Now we have allies that, that know it's important to show mm. up to those to support our community. And that's important. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so that's what all the hard work was for. Like when I see that, I was like, oh, okay, that's great. <laughs> right? Like that's good. So it was all worth it. Right? And not that the work's over because it's so Never not. Never over. But yeah, but, it's an interesting it's, it's, milestone. Yeah, it's, We're looking at a historical point where PI used to be versus where it is yeah, today. Yeah. I don't think a young Trina thought, you know what? I'm going to be doing right. nothing. And nothing. My, my CEO is going to yeah. coordinate everything for Pride and we're going to go. And order and, t-shirts. And order t-shirts. And pay for them. And pay for them and, and not make it performative. <laughs> right. Wild. Yeah. Wild. Change is happening. Change is happening. It is happening. Of, of course it is. In front of our eyes, whether we want it to or not. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Queer History on Prince Edward Island. We're only just scratching the surface of possible stories. Thank you, Evelyn, for your time and co-hosting this episode with me. Feel free to find us on social media or at peimuseum.ca. On our website, you can donate or purchase a membership where you can check out all seven of our museum sites across the island. Just to note, all those programs Evelyn mentioned earlier on, I'll provide links in the episode description so you can check them out. Thanks to Innovation PEI and Skills PEI for your support, along with our official sponsors, Beyond the Brim Consulting, Upstreet Brewing, and Confederation Centre of the Arts. Finally, shout out to Adam Glant for our theme music. Talk to you next time on The Hidden Island.